Sure. So when I got to college, I started studying everything else. <laughs> I loved uh, philosophy and art history and painting because my mother's a painter. Um, and I started studying everything and then I kind of came full circle and then ended up becoming a doctor anyway. Minako, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this podcast this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having yes. me. It's been an honor and it's been probably about 30 years since I've seen you. So That's right. Because you were telling me, I taught you when you were in, which grades were you in? I was still in elementary school. Elementary school. When you were teaching at ASIJ. Right. And I was a part of your PE. I was a, one of your PE students and I took gymnastics for a couple of years. I didn't get past those couple of years because I was terrible at it, but I enjoyed it and I just love being here with you and yeah. it's just fantastic to, to reconnect with you. That's good. It's pleasant to see you as well. Mm -hmm. So swimming was your sport. You preferred swimming? Yes, I was. Did you swimmer. do anything else? Any other sports? Um, I ran for a little bit, but it was mostly swimming. Now you're yeah. the only child in your family, right? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I mean, did you ever want to have a sister or a brother? Oh, absolutely. You did? Yes. You know, I have a cousin who I'm very close with and she lived with us for a while, but right. yeah, I always thought it would be nice to have a bigger family. Now, where were you born? I was born in Hokkaido. I was born in Sapporo. And um, I never really lived there, though. By the time I was six months old, we had moved to the United States. Okay. So, yeah. When you were six months old, you moved. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in the United States? I was in the United States until I was five. And then I came back to Japan. And then after I graduated from high school, I moved back to the U.S. And I lived there for another... 20-some-odd years. <laughs> Wait, so your first mm -hmm. language was what? It was English. Your mother and father both speak English? Yes, they do. Yeah. But you're fluent in Japanese as well. I speak pretty fluently in Japanese, right. yes. And mm -hmm. I guess now, working with your father, you have to learn to read and write yes. as well, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Wait, so when you went to this, when you left ASIJ, you graduated in ASIJ, mm -hmm. what subjects were you most interested in? Now, you're a doctor now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. An MD. Mm -hmm. And what were your subjects? What were you? Um, I loved, you know, I loved the sciences, but I also loved literature. Um, okay. So when I went off to college, it was with the intention of becoming a doctor, but... Is that what you wanted, or did your parents kind of like... I think my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Which one? Both? Both. Yeah. Yeah, mostly my dad, but I think both wanted me to be a doctor. So when I got to college, I started studying everything else. <laughs> I loved uh, philosophy and art history and painting because my mother's a painter. Um, and I started studying everything and then I kind of came full circle and then ended up becoming a doctor anyway. Did you find it difficult at all? Mm -hmm. The transition back to the United I mean, States? No, I mean, when mm -hmm. you went to the States, yeah. Because yeah. you had the American school, so it couldn't have been that hard. Yeah. Was it hard though for you? I thought so. There was a little bit of um, um, culture shock, I would say. Okay. And um, I went to UC Berkeley, so it was a really, really big school. Right. So you go from being, you know, a big fish in a little pond to a little fish in this big, huge ocean. And but it was a wonderful experience, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade it for anything. What did you did you have any other activities outside of your education that you got involved in when you were in college mm -hmm. that you liked? Yeah, I mean, I was always involved in um, student government. Um, in, at ASIJ, and so I also did What positions that. did you hold? Um, I was student council president and class president. What year was that? Because I wasn't there then. I know. No, no, oh, I, I don't know. think you were there anymore. It was 1988. 
when I graduated. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you thought about, so you always had a group around you, huh? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's good. Mm -hmm. And then when you went to college, you, you got involved in the same type of things? Oh, uh -huh, yeah, I did. Um, I was a senator um, for a while in uh, my college campus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still continued swimming and running and things like that. Did you? Mm -hmm. So what do you, like, which do you like best, running or swimming? Swimming. Swimming better. Swimming. Absolutely. And when you swam, were you a competitive mm -hmm. swimmer? Mm-hmm. And what did you, which strokes did you swim? What did you do? Uh, my breaststroke was probably my, my best stroke. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, back, now, let's go into comments because we're going to go through this real quick. Okay. Because I know you're taking me through there. You were talking <laughs> about some real in interesting things. When you went, when did you change after you started studying history and English and everything else? Mm -hmm. When did you say, okay, now I'm going to really take medicine seriously? I think it was probably my, the end of my junior year, so I had one more year to go. Okay. And um, and I just came back full circle. I think I was doing a lot of volunteering. I was volunteering in a free clinic for the homeless. And at that time or prior? At that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, my my passion and my mission in life is really to help people. And, mm -hmm. you know, what better way to help people than to go into help. So. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to go into ER? <laughs> um, I loved being able, like the immediacy of being able to help someone. Someone comes in with a broken bone, you set it immediately, um, you splint them and, and you know you, f you fix them and they go on their way. Or somebody has a big laceration, you just sew them up. So I loved that sort of immediacy. And being able to help like all sorts of different people from all walks of life. Um, they could come in with anything, you know, and... But wasn't it, didn't you feel mm -hmm. sometimes, I mean, you're in the States. Yes. And everyone doesn't come in quite, I mean, they're not as passive or docile as a lot of people in Asia, in no, Japan. No, not at all, not so at you all. So didn't you have situations that... Mm -hmm. I go crazy. It was crazy. Um, I was in you New York City for 15 years. So. Wait, where were you first? Where did you start practicing first? Um, New York City. New York City? Yes, Manhattan. <sighs> so yeah, there were plenty of, you know, things that are unimaginable here. Gunshot wounds, a lot of stabbings, um, a lot of trauma, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. Um, so it was a crazy, crazy world. Now outside yeah. of outside of the music and the mm -hmm. and the commercial breaks, mm -hmm. how close is it to like the real series like ER? Your life there? What would when you saw? I'm sure you've mm -hmm. seen those series. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what do you identify with, and what do you call BS on? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the the drama and the relationships that go on behind the, <laughs> behind the uh, you know the curtains or whatever. But right. no, it's as crazy as television, if not crazier. You know, I didn't watch those shows very much when I was in them because right. it's like that was my everyday life. It's like I don't want to go home and, and turn on the TV and watch the same thing. So right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. What did you find for relief? Other doctors, friends, okay. um, people who were not in medicine, reading books. Um, I was into music. Mm -hmm. So yeah, part of what I liked about ER is like when you're in it, you're fully 100% in it. You're treating people, you're seeing people from all walks of life, but then at the end of the day, after your shift is over, you can have a whole separate life. So mm -hmm. it gave me that sort of flexibility between work and, and the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel threatened? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are definitely people who come in um, who threaten you if they don't get what they want. They come in wanting painkillers or, um, yeah. So and what would, would you do in that situation? How do you handle that? Um, I made sure a security guard walked out with me when I left my shift. Did you have to do that often? Sometimes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I love working in the ER. I mean, it was very gratifying in some ways, and it could be very frustrating in some ways. 
Um, and the thing that I realized though, even though I loved being there and I loved working and loved the immediacy of being able to help people, um, I realized after a number of years that 80% of what came through my doors could have potentially been prevented. That's what we're going to go. There you go. Now, how? Yeah. How would that be prevented? When, when did you realize this? I think it took me about 10 years of working. Um, and you would see the same people coming in, you know, week after week with terrible asthma or heart failure. Um, and between all the, you know, the drug abuse, um, the traumas, even infections, um, heart disease, all of these things, you know, 80% of that could have potentially been pre prevented. So. Mm -hmm. Then that sort of started a mind shift with me that, okay, well, we need to treat these patients a little further upstream, right, before they get to that point. And what can we do for that? So I became interested in something called lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, kind of a brand new field in the United States, and I'm sort of helping to bring those concepts um, back here to Japan, where, you know, through various lifestyle modifications, you know, and some of the you know, for the four pillars that I always talk about are eat, sleep, move, and relax. Okay. So between, you know, good nutrition, sleeping enough, exercising, and relaxation is really about human connections, how you de-stress, how you manage your mind. Like all of these things make a huge impact on your health. Mm -hmm. And by being able to teach people about these things and having people manage their health in that way, you know, potentially they didn't have to go through that. They potentially didn't have to be in that ER, you know, when I was treating them, so. Did you start talking to people about this when you came to this realization, um, about 10 years into it? Did no, you? back then, the field wasn't really in existence. Okay. And eight years ago, I had the um, good fortune of having, coming back to Japan. And I think that was another mindset shift. And I think that really got me thinking in the path, like even cancer. Right now I work in a, a Tokyo Cancer Clinic, which is my father's right. um, cancer clinic. And it's a small clinic that, and we specialize in immunotherapy and cell right. cellular immunotherapy for cancer. And even with cancer, you know, 40% of cancers can be prevented. So, you know, it sort of tied in with my ideas that, you know, a lot of these chronic illnesses can be prevented and how do we go about doing that? So I did a lot of research on my own and then um, after studying it for a few years, um, I realized there was actually um, a, a, a board of uh, lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I Well, here in Japan? Actually, no, it's in the United States. In the United States, okay. So There's I, nothing like that in Japan yet. No, we're starting to bring it in. So okay. we have a Society for Lifestyle Medicine here now, and I'm trying to go about and spread the word. And but you're dealing mostly with foreigners now? Um, right now, I, our clinic deals with uh, both foreigners and Japanese. Mm -hmm. And um, just because of my sort of unique perspective and um, my years in the United States, actually more years in the U.S. than here, um, I've been trying to reach out to people in our community, um, those that... Um, speak English and are living in Japan and mm -hmm. really trying to help them sort of navigate the Japanese medical system and also um, sort of teach them what's available to them, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. unique to Japan. Uh, so you're being more of the spokesperson right now mm -hmm. because as you mentioned at the beginning, mm -hmm. you're licensed in the U.S., yes. but that doesn't apply here. Right. Mm -hmm. But can you become licensed? I mean, would it be I difficult can. for you? Um, I can, yeah. I uh, started down that path. Okay. Um, and you have to pass all the Japanese tests. Mm -hmm. 
and then from then you have an oral exam, then you have a written exam, but they have since changed the requirements and I have to do two years of Kenshin, which is another residency. And at this stage, I just said, oh, you know. Do you really want to do that again? Right, yeah. right. You and can't do it at your father's clinic. No, I can't. Okay, it so has, it has to, be, to be in a hospital. Right. So yeah, and that would take me away from his clinic. My father is 83 year old, three years old now. Oh, is he? Okay. Um, still practicing. Because um, there's no limit. Right. He can be here until the end. Yes, and I think yeah. he intends to. <laughs> smart move, smart yeah. move. No, and it's yeah. you know it's his passion. It's you know why he mm -hmm. why he does this. So, right. um, so you know in supporting him, it's hard to you know leave the clinic for two mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. But I figured I could you know do actually more. Right. You know I can you know try and spread the word and you know teach people like. Yeah, these are ways to support mm -hmm. your health, maintain your health. Mm -hmm. um, I can teach people about um, cancer immunotherapy, which is what we do in the clinic. And I also run the lab, and I do a lot of research mm -hmm. um, in the field. So are you speaking at different places? Where yeah, I'm trying to get the word out there and speak in different places, you know, in different Such as? Where have, you, where have you been able to spread um, the word so far? I spoke with um, Tell. Right. And um, we also have our own sort of... Um, NPO where we try and spread uh, health information mm -hmm. and um, one of the labs that I work with I spoke um, I did a sort of a, a talk series for them as well mm -hmm. so, so how that, how's it going so far I mean oh, what good. kind of response are you getting oh it's good I think people love it people love to know that they actually have some agency right, right. we all think that we you know we're we're doomed or destined or right. you know genetically um, you know it's because of my genetics I end up with cancer, or it's because of my genetics that I have heart disease. Yeah, those things do absolutely, you know, um, play into it. It is a risk factor, but there's so much that you can change. Mm -hmm. Like even Alzheimer's, you can have the Alzheimer's gene, which gives you a 60% risk of having Alzheimer's, but that means there's 40% of a chance that you can do something like so that what? you don't develop. Like what? <laughs> like what? So okay. lots of things. Um, a lot of it, you know, is starts from you know education and childhood, how much education you have. Right. But a lot of it has to do with just healthy lifestyle habits, right? You're okay. eating um, whole, unprocessed foods, and you're not eating, you know, just junk foods and trans fats, and mm -hmm. um, you're not smoking. I, my philosophy behind food is, you know, the things that don't have a label are best, right? The I things can't. that look like they grow out of the ground. Isn't that right? Yeah. What about eating meat? Do you have anything about that? Um, meat, again, in um, small quantities. Mm -hmm. um, the Academy of Lifestyle Medicine, they're very um, vocal about being plant-based. Um, in Japan, I think that's really tough. People like their fish, people like their meat. Um, and especially, you know, you look at all the long-lived longevity communities, there's not a single community that has been completely 100% plant-based. That's right. right? That's but true. I think 90 to 90% of what they eat are vegetables and whole grains. So I think that really is the healthiest way to go. And you know, the more red meat you eat, the higher your chance of you know things like colon colon cancer. Um, so you know, and also lots of other different types of cancers. And obviously, the saturated fats aren't good for you, um, your cardiovascular system. So the recommendation right now is less than 500 grams of red meat a week. You said that. You were really surprised coming mm -hmm. back here after being in the U.S. for so long mm -hmm. at how advanced and how good Japan is yes. at treating different ailments yeah. as a result of your husband having a tumor yes. on his spine. Yes, yes. What, did you, so, what was that that you found? So about a year after we moved to Japan, um, 
yeah, my husband's having these really terrible back pains. You know, we thought, oh, it's probably a herniated disc, you know, but, um, you know, we just thought it was regular back pain. Um, when we finally got the MRI, we found this tumor on his spine, um, which was terrifying, it was scary. I immediately tried to contact all my colleagues back in the United States. How long ago was this? This was seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. So just after you got here, a year yeah, after you got here? Yeah, it was a year after we got here. And yeah. your kids were how old then? Oh, my kids were two and five. So I can see what's going through your head. You said, no, you're not going anywhere. Exactly. Not, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. So what would you do? Right. So I that? immediately contacted my colleagues back in the States. Oh my gosh, where should I take him for the best care? Right? Because it was a very rare type of tumor. Um, I, you know, once we had the surgery and everything, I was looking it up and um, I think there were only seven the surgery cases. here? We ended up having surgery here, yeah. Wait, 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 no, I want to get this straight. You mm-hmm. said you called your colleagues He's when you found out that he had it. I said, where do I take him? Right, and what did they say? They all said stay here. They, they all said stay they here? They all said stay here. What? I spoke to neurosurgeons in the States and they said the technology the and the skill and the care that they he would get here would have been better than anywhere in the states and would you say he said whoa go ahead yeah, i know I go was ahead like, you said really? whoa because like, wow. that's not what you were thinking at all no no I you just knew it was a trip back to the states mm-hmm. like to maybe um what's the hospital you're thinking like um not walter reed there's another one mm-hmm. it's famous for cancer uh memorial sloan Memori- yes yes yes, yeah, yes. so thinking, you're thinking something like that yeah, right yeah and they told you do not they said no stay right here yeah, um, we ended up staying here, and he got surgery here, and we had a fantastic, you know, rock star neurosurgeon um, who took care of him. You know, the whole medical system is so different, though. So that was very strange, right? How? how? I, Tell me how. What are the differences? Well, um, you and know, be explicit so people understand the difference between the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. So in the states, I think it's a lot easier to sort of pick and choose your own doctor. You you go, and you know, you have this. And communications-wise, I think it's you, you have, have more time if you have money. Yeah, okay, and a lot of that, there's a lot of inequality, unfortunately. Right, but you, if you um, have the money, so you're talking about now you, you're going to compare them with someone that has money and just yeah. the average person here, yeah. or what? Um, you know, it's not so much money, but it's insurance. What okay, kind right. of insurance you have? Well, you have to have if money have, to have insurance. Yeah, you okay. have to have money to have insurance. You have to have money to have good insurance, right? right. And there are unfortunately huge um, inequities in that. And here? And here, everybody is on, you know, national You have health. to. It's national insurance, Exactly. Right? And so you get the same care. And you get the same care, absolutely. And you can pick the hospital you decide to go to. Yes. But I think it's much more equal here, right, in that right. respect. Right. You can go to any hospital. You can get the same care. Um, so we ended up uh, at KU University Hospital, um, and we had terrific care. You know, it was weird because it's like you kind of... You kind of feel like a cog in a, in a wheel or like a number. It's like a little number, right. and then you sit there, and then they call you, and then you go get your X-ray, and then you get called to another area, and then you get your blood work, and then you know finally you sit down with the with the doctor, and you have maybe five minutes with the doctor, okay. and it seems very unsatisfying, right? But all in all, you know. Once they get to know you, they see your care. Oh, and also it's like usually surgery, you know, you say, okay, well, you know, wait in line, you know, your surgery. Um, if it's not an emergency, then we'll take you in two months. You're like, two months? Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems like a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, um, you know, and you kind of have to advocate for yourself, I think, here too. Did your husband ever get frustrated with that when he was going through and he had to wait with his ticket? I think so, yeah. I mean, right. it was because it's very different. Did different you express experience. it to anybody? Did you express it to any of the people there, the nurses or the doctors, um, his frustration? 
Um, I don't think he was that frustrated um, okay. just with the system because he realized, like, even though it's kind of a strange, different way of doing things, it is quite efficient. Right. Now, he, mm. does he speak Japanese? He does not. Okay, yeah. so you were you translating? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Did the doctor speak? I would think that they would put mm -hmm. someone with him that speaks a little English. He spoke a little English. That's yeah. what I thought. That's mm -hmm. what they're very kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyway. Yeah. So, so you went through that, you made it through there, mm -hmm. and did you have to wait two months? Or? Um, they actually ended up having an opening, so they were able to take us in about a month. Okay. So, and, and that all worked out. And, you know, it's just very different. You know, you in the United States, um, you know, they try and make your. Um, your stay in the hospital as short as possible. Like, I think when I had my babies, um, we were in the hospital, yeah, like a day or two, and I, they were both C-sections, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but here, you know, they actually check you in like a day or two before your actual, your actual surgery, and, um, you know, it was very different. You know, it was before COVID, so at least, you know, you, we were able to visit, but, you know, you couldn't have kids in to visit. They didn't allow um, you in the operation? You didn't come in for the operation? Um, I, I, I was at the hospital for the operation. But you couldn't but be in the room? No, no. Okay. So you went through that. You got to be in the hospital when your husband was operated on. How mm -hmm. long was the operation? Uh, it was a number of hours, about five hours or so. You stayed there the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said, make sure he comes out of this. He's coming yeah, out. oh, absolutely. And make sure that everything came out okay. How were you kidding? Did they know what was going on? Uh, they, they did. They yeah. did. Yeah. How were they about it? How they, they, were, they were okay. I don't know. They were kind of young, so I don't know how, yeah. how much they understood. Did you ever worry? Were you, I'm mm -hmm. sure you did your homework on mm -hmm. all of it. And how, so what, what are the risk factors? What could go wrong? Well, um, because it was, you know, in the lower spine, you know, if, yeah, there's a, there's a big risk of, you know, paralysis, um, you know, not being able to walk again. Right, yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. And it was a very rare type of tumor. I looked it up afterwards and... I think there were only seven case reports of that particular type of tumor. So, yeah. And how long did he stay in the hospital? He stayed for about 10 days, I think. 10 days. Yeah, and he, he was let out early because of me. <laughs> so <laughs> he wanted to come home, and, okay. and the doctor said, well, you can watch him at home. So. When did he start walking after um, the operation? He was able to walk uh, after the operation, like pretty much uh, after, after a week or so. They, they got him up and started walking. Him. But they wanted to see right away if he could move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. and he could. There was no problem. There was no problem. Yeah. So he's and doing I, great, yes. He's had no problem. It's been seven years now, right? Yes, he's been doing great. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. So, so tell me, what were your feelings also going through all that? You went through that, and then did you say, maybe Japan has something going on? Yeah, here absolutely. Right. You know, so Japan has a lot going for it that I think people don't know about, like I didn't know about, you know. Um, so it was fantastic. And the clinic where I'm at now, um, we do something called cancer immunotherapy, which is this fantastic treatment where you're treated with your own cells. So you're your own immune cells. So, you know, you think of cancer treatments. Your immune cells. Your immune cells. So the traditional cancer therapies are, you know, surgery, chemotherapy, Chemo, right. radiation. radiation right. um, and so now, um, more recently, we have something called immunotherapy. And they're immunotherapy drugs. Or immunotherapy is kind of a big, broad term. Um, and there's something called cellular immunotherapy. So what we've specialized in is we take our own cells, our own immune cells from a blood draw. From, wait, from your um, lymph node? Um, no, just lymph from a regular blood draw. Okay, regular blood draw. Mm -hmm. So from your blood draw, you, yeah. we isolate out immune cells, okay. and we grow them in our lab. So we multiply them, multiply them to the billions, and we can also train certain types of immune cells 
to target and fight back against your own cancer. So we create you a said vaccine. You could, wait, you can train them? Yes. Now, right? We yeah. have different types of immune cells in our body, okay, right? right? One is called a natural killer cell. Right. And these natural killer cells, they know how to target our own cancer cells, right? It knows how to ta target cells that are infected. Which in all, so, all of us have these. And all of, these right? have, all of us have them. And so all of these lifestyle things too, right? Mm -hmm. It's to really boost our immune system and to keep us healthy. Right, right. right. And so natural killer cells do that. So that's one of our treatments. We take uh, the natural killer cells from our blood draw and grow them out to the billions, and we can retransfuse them into our body to fight against our cancer, right? So that's number one. Those natural killer cells, they naturally know how to fight your, your cancer cells. And then the other um, therapy that we have is we create a cancer vaccine. So you were asking about the training, right? Right, right, of course. We, we have a type of uh, immune cell called a dendritic cell, right? Dendrite means like, like a tree-like. They have these little branches. So these tree-like, cells, they actually have the ability to pick up tumor markers in your body, like tumor to cell antigen. So, um, and from that, when it knows what cells to attack, it will go and talk to the other immune cells in your lymph nodes and create this army of immune cells to be able to target your own cancer. And when we know what type of cancer you have, we can actually feed those targets to these cells. And so then they know and they get trained, they say, oh, those are the cells, so those are the targets that we have to target. And so we use that and we create a cancer vaccine. So like if somebody has prostate cancer, we can feed it PSA because we know that prostate antigen is high. And different types of cancers have multiple different types of mm -hmm. um, markers on them. So if we know their cancer, then we can create a uh, tumor vaccine, a cancer vaccine that's specific for them. So, and what's even more fantastic, and we did this for my husband, when we, we save part of his tumor and we created, we can take, extract the proteins from that tumor and create a vaccine against that cancer. So God forbid he has this ever again in the future, we can actually create a cancer vaccine against that would um, the tumor, Would the tumor would automatically be the same type of tumor? Um, if that same tumor had the spread somewhere. Right, spread somewhere yeah. else. But it, it could be a completely different tumor. It could be a different tumor. And then that would have to yeah. take a different process. Uh, we've had, in our clinic, we've had about uh, 2,500 uh, patients already. So Since we've been when? doing this. Since when? We started immunotherapy in 2000. This was before I moved back to the Your States. Your father had already My started this. My father had this. already started this, yeah. I so mean, training the cells to attack and all mm -hmm. this? He, really? Yeah, yeah. So the research started in the year 2000, so 22 okay. years of research already. Um, we started treating patients with the natural killer cells in 2002 and then um, with a cancer vaccine since 2007. Okay. Yeah. Traditionally, the doctor's in the driver's seat, right? And you're driving your passenger and you're like, no, this is what you're gonna do. I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna drive you to good health. Right, right, right. right. But now, you know, being a coach, it's different. You put the patient in the driver's seat and you're like, I'm just the guy. You're the hero on your own journey. Right? But it's like you're training them to use their own minds, to make their own choices, right? But you tell them, you know, science shows that, you know, this is a healthier way to eat. Science shows that you should be exercising this much or de-stressing or making human connections and managing your mind. But the position of the doctor is now different, you know? We're the ones who are the guide. You know, we're not, we're the, just the GPS. We're not, we're not the drivers anymore. And I think that empowers patients and people, you know, mm. and I think that's the change that needs to go forward. And even if you have a terrible illness or chronic illness or, or cancer, so you can still live your best life.
right? Live, you know, whatever hand you're dealt with, you know, you, you say, okay, well, what can I control? What can I not control? And then try and control the things that you can. I like to end my podcast by asking this. Mm-hmm. What do you consider to be a good life in Japan? I think wherever you are, to be able to realize your own potential and to keep learning and to keep loving what you do, to find your ikigai, so to speak. You know, I think that, I think that's the whole meaning of it all. So wherever you are, and I think being in Japan, uh, we're in this wonderful, safe environment. Um, and certainly there are, there are good things and bad things about living anywhere. And I certainly did not find, I did not expect for me to come back and to live in Japan, frankly. What made you, wait, why did you come back? Uh, for family, it's always about family, right? Okay, right. So and dad, daddy called you back. Yeah, and my father needed support, so yeah. um, that's why I'm here, and I love that I'm raising my family here. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Because I understand your kids are going to the same school you went to. Yes, I know, <laughs> and I think that's wonderful. How do I they feel? How do they feel about it? They love it. They, they do. Yeah, they love ASJ. You know, it's. Um, I think it's different now. Um, and oh, especially big since, time, big yeah, time. and especially since COVID, you yes, know, school yes. and everything is just very different. But glad that you know we're in Japan, where it's relatively safe. There's, you know, we don't have to worry about drugs and drunk driving and and uh, firearms and things mm-hmm. like that. So, and and that they're here and they're learning about the culture and mm-hmm. and other, you know, that they're half of the culture. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's so good. You know, Cole, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank Thank you so much. much. It's wonderful to reconnect with you. Really. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Remember, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.